I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. What a privilege it is to share his word with you today. Our scripture lesson for the morning is from the first chapter of the second letter of St. Peter. I'll be reading the first 11 verses, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Some years ago, I baptized a little baby boy named Hal. Hal had a big sister, four-year-old Elizabeth. And when the family got home that day from church, Elizabeth kept looking at little Hal rather strangely. And finally, she said to her mother, when's he going to grow? Her mother said, what do you mean? She said, well, we took him to church this morning and had him fertilized, so he ought to grow now. Well, it's easy enough for a four-year-old to confuse fertilize and baptize, but maybe that little girl spoke more truth than she knew. Baptized Christians are supposed to grow. A Christian is either growing or declining spiritually. Never standing still. My question today is, are you growing in Christ? I want you to think for a moment about how many of Jesus' parables and teachings focused on growth. Think about it. Do you remember this, 
the parable he told about the three different kinds of soils, and one of those was the fertile soil, the one he commended. And there, the seeds that were sown produced 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed around, but it produces the largest garden plant, growth. Remember the parable of the talents. You remember the servants got different numbers of talents? And Jesus commended those servants who multiplied their talents, some by 50%, some by 100%. And Jesus pointed to the lilies of the field and said, look at them, see how they grow they don't labor or spend, but God gives them growth. And again, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man sowing seed. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Jesus taught that a Christian is either growing or declining spiritually, but never standing still. Jesus intends for us to grow. When I hear a Christian testify about some great work of God in their lives 25 years ago, I rejoice. When I hear them tell it a second time, this great work God did 25 years ago, I rejoice again. But when I hear it a third time, I'm tempted to ask, brother, sister, has God did anything in your life lately? What's he been up to lately in your life? In other words, are you growing in Christ? I heard about a little girl whose parents every Sunday would drop her off at church at 10 to go to Sunday school. Then they would go to a nearby restaurant for breakfast. Then they would come back at 11 and accompany her to worship. One day, this little girl asked her dad, why don't you go to Sunday school? And he said, I don't need to. My faith is established. A couple of weeks later, they went to their vacation getaway place. They had a little house out in the country on a fish pond. So they were on the way there. The last mile or two to this place was not even paved road. And it had been raining a lot lately. And so the car bogged down in one of those red clay ruts. And the more the father spun those wheels, the deeper it sank. Finally, he just turned off the engine and sat there thinking what will be his next move. And from the back seat, the little daughter said, Dad, I think our car is established. Dad got the message. And the following Sunday, Dad and Mom were in Sunday school. Are you growing in Christ? That's the question I'm asking. My message this morning is based on the first 11 verses of St. Paul's second letter. Uh, to set the scene for you, he was in a Roman jail at the time, assisted by his friend Silas. Indeed, he wrote this letter just a year or two before he was martyred by the Emperor Nero, and the letter was sent to all of the churches in Asia Minor. There are two central themes in these first 11 verses, and the first is this, we have received so much. In verse 1, he writes, we have received a precious faith. In other words, our faith is not based on our merit or our performance. It's a gift. We deserve nothing but judgment from God because we are sinners. But instead of receiving judgment from God, 
He gives us forgiveness and grace paid for by Jesus on the cross. What a gift. Thankfully, God grades on the cross, not on the curve. Here's a thought that'll blow your mind when you think about it. Jesus would have gone to that cross even if you had been the only human being on earth. So great is his love for you. In verse 3 we read, his divine power has given us everything we need. And that divine power, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Little boy asked his father one day, Dad, what's the Holy Spirit like? Is he, is he like a ghost or is he like a cloud floating around? And the father whispered a prayer for wisdom. And then he asked his son, have you ever felt real close to God? And the little boy nodded. And the father said, that was the Holy Spirit touching your heart. One of the Greek words that's used to describe the Holy Spirit is parakletos, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S, parakletos. And it literally means in Greek, battle partner. And the origin of the word is the military context because in ancient times, when the Greek army would go to war, they always went in two-man teams. Every person, every soldier had a parakletos, a battle partner, to help him up if he fell down, to supply what he needed, to cover his backside. Ooh, I like to think of the Holy Spirit as my battle partner. And when I go out every day, I've got uh, an inexhaustible source to pick me up when I'm down, to supply what I need, to cover my backside. I like, a, I like to think of the Holy Spirit having our backs. My good friend, Maxie Dunham, the, uh, the pastor whom I had the privilege of following in Memphis, he was walking through an Episcopal church one day somewhere in the Memphis area, and he passed a bulletin board, and something on that bulletin board just grabbed his attention. Printed in bold letters up top were these words, if you have everything but don't have Jesus, you have nothing. If you have nothing but have Jesus, you have everything. Ah, that's worth telling, that's worth saying again because you may want to write that one down. If you have everything but don't have Jesus, you have nothing. If you have nothing but have Jesus, you have everything. The first truth I'm declaring this morning is we have received so much. God the Father created us. God the Son went to a cross and ransomed us from our sins. God the Holy Spirit supplies all we need. Here's the second truth I'm declaring today. In response, we must grow and be fruitful. In verse 5, St. Peter urges us to make every effort to add to our faith. And he lists the following areas in which we should grow. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. He calls us to possess these qualities in increasing measure. And if we grow in these areas, he says, we will make our calling and election sure. In other words, our growth in Christ will confirm that we are God's adopted children. A Christian is either growing 
are declining, but never standing still? Are you growing in Christ? There is a brilliant sociologist named George Barna who for many years has been doing surveys in America on Christians and Christianity. And some of the information he came up with is, is rather sad because he concluded after all these surveys that most Christians in America are not growing. His surveys found that three out of every five are not involved in any intentional effort to grow in the faith. He notes that only one in four attend Sunday school, which is sad to me. Only one in seven is being spiritually mentored by someone. Only one in nine is attending a special class or reading a particular book for the purpose of spiritual growth. Barna, after all of his studies, claims that most adult Christians in America believe that their main spiritual task is maintenance, not growth, maintenance. What about you? Are you growing spiritually? Now we're going to have a test. I'm going to pose seven questions for the purpose of self-examination. Now, such a test is biblical, folks. St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, end of quote. And so I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. Maybe on your bulletin, you can write down one through seven. You don't have to write down the full question. You can write down just a word to cause you to remember what the question was about. For example, the first question is going to relate to language. And so you could write one, language, and then I'm going to ask you to grade yourself one to ten on each of these seven areas. Now, the grade of one, if you give yourself a grade of one, that means you're really doing poorly. On the other hand, if you give yourself a grade of ten, that means you're so near perfection that you have to hold onto that chair to keep from ascending. That's a ten. Question number one, is your language pleasing to God? Is your language pleasing to God? Jesus said, people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And again, St. Paul said, let your conversation be always full of grace. Now, if you read the comic strips as I do, you're familiar with Dennis the Menace, and I watch with, I read with great interest because we've, We've raised two boys, so I can relate to that. Dennis often talks about his father's golf words. You know what he's talking about, don't you? You golfers do, and as an addicted golfer myself, I know, I know how tempting it is to, to issue an expletive after a bad shot. It's so hard not to. You've heard this truth about computers, garbage in, garbage out. That's also true of the human heart and mind. Garbage in, garbage out. Jesus said this, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. What you take into your mind will sooner or later begin to come out of your mouth. If you feed your mind with filthy movies and television programs, sooner or later, some of that filth is going to flow out in language. And instead, St. Paul urges us to think about whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable. 
Language. Give yourself a grade, 1 to 10, on your language. How are you doing? Is it pleasing to God? Your language, 1 to 10. Honesty, always. Question two. Are you giving at least 10% of your income to God's work? My goodness, personal question. The prophet Malachi said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the whole 10%. The most captivating and tempting false god in America is money. There, there's nothing close to that as far as a tempting false god. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. One or the other has got to have the upper hand. The Bible commands us to give the first 10% of our income to the Lord's work. The primary purpose of that is not to raise money for the church. The primary purpose is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ because you cannot grow in the faith if you aren't growing in your giving. Tithing is also a key way of protecting us from the sin of greed Think about this. It's almost impossible to give 10% of your income to the Lord and still love money. No way. No way. On the other hand, if one loves Jesus Christ above all, it is so very natural and fulfilling to give that first 10%. And in fact, you won't be satisfied there. Sooner or later, you'll want to get above the minimum standard. Are you growing in your giving? Give yourself a grade, one to 10. Question two is giving, one to 10. Question three, do you have Christian love in your heart toward people with whom you disagree? Jesus commanded, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Probably the hardest thing a Christian is ever commanded to do. When you see people whom you dislike on television or at work or in the neighborhood, do you have Christian love in your heart toward them? I'm not asking do you like them. You can't command somebody to like somebody. That's an emotional reaction. Christian love is different. Christian love is not an emotion. It's a decision. It's a decision to seek what is best for another person, whether you like that person or not. Several weeks ago, a Baptist minister in Hong Kong set us a splendid example in this area. Pastor Chu Yu Ming is a 73-year-old leader of the democratic forces in Hong Kong who today are battling uh, the Chinese communists who really want to take liberty away from Hong Kong. And on April 9th, a Chinese communist judge convicted Pastor Chu and his associates of conspiracy to commit public nuisance. If that isn't a weird charge. And at the defendant's dock, after sentence was pronounced, Pastor Chu was given a chance to speak. And he, standing there facing his enemies, the ones who had convicted him, the communists, he said this, we have no regrets, we hold no grudges, no anger, no grievances, we do not give up. In the words of Jesus, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them, end of quote. What a witness, what a witness. We should pray for Pastor Chu. 
When we consider what Pastor Chu is suffering, the offenses we have suffered pale in comparison. How are we treating those people who have offended us, those who have mistreated us, those we dislike? Give yourself a grade in this area about loving those that you dislike. One to ten. Question four. Are prayer and Bible reading essential parts of your daily schedule? Do you agree with the psalmist who said, Your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? And in Luke chapter 18, we read, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Satan has a three-point strategy for defeating us, and he never changes it because it works. Three-point strategy. Keep us out of church, out of the Bible, and off our knees. And if he can succeed in two out of three, he'll beat us most every time. Keep us out of church, out of the Bible, and off our knees. There are some church members, sadly, who never open a Bible during the week. The only Bible they hear is what the preacher reads on Sunday mornings. And that's sad. That's a recipe for spiritual starvation. You just think how you would feel if you got only one meal per week. Do you have a dedicated time every day when you open God's Word and talk with God in prayer? Give yourself a grade, one to ten. Question number five, are your sexual thoughts and actions in harmony with Holy Scripture? Jesus addressed our sexuality in both positive and negative terms. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, and then on the negative side, he said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Our sexuality is a precious gift from God as long as we allow God to govern it. There is only one sexual relationship approved by God in the Bible, and that's between husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. And in that context, Sex is one of God's most wonderful blessings. It allows unique communion of two hearts, bodies, and minds. A husband and wife becoming one flesh is about as close to heaven as we can experience here on earth. But when sex is ripped from that beautiful setting and used by Satan, it becomes one of the most destructive forces on earth. There is a dangerous sex-related addiction that is not illegal, but it's all over America and indeed the world. This addiction has enslaved over 40 million Americans, and it brings in over $97 billion every year in profit for its producers. I'm talking about pornography, especially the internet variety. Experts claim that pornography was a significant factor in 56% of all the divorces in America last year. I feel sure that some people listening to me this morning are slaves to this addiction. And if so, it's time to repent. Now it's time to grade yourself. Are your sexual thoughts and actions in harmony 
with Holy Scripture. One to ten here. Question six. How faithful are you in church attendance? The psalmist expressed what should be the sentiment of every Christian. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Sadly, some church members are participate in what I call the, the once per month club. They believe that if they're in church once a month, that, that constitutes being active members. But the primary reason that we should be here on Sundays is because Jesus is here. And if I'm not, he will miss me. Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus has a blessing for you and me every week if we're here to receive it. There is a whole lot of wisdom in this little poem that I picked up from somewhere. I don't know where. Whenever I pass the village church, I stop to pay a visit for fear that when I'm carried in, the Lord will ask, who is it? Give yourself a grade on church attendance. One to ten. How are you doing? One is low, ten is high. Mm -mm. Here's the seventh and final question. How humble are you? That's really personal. St. Paul admonished all Christians to be completely humble and gentle. And Jesus said, if you're invited to a dinner party, don't go to the head table. Take the lowest position, and then your host may come up and say to you, move to a better place. When you're in a group of people, do you feel a compulsion, a need to be the center of attention? Or can you be completely content in a support role? It is a fact that the more secure you are in the love of Christ, the less need you have to be complimented or puffed up or promoted. The more secure you are in the love of Christ, the less need you have to boast. And if you boast at all, you'll boast about the one who saved you. You can be comfortable in being humble. The late U.S. Representative Hale Boggs from Louisiana was invited one time to address a major convention in Washington, D.C. This was uh, held in a huge ballroom, several thousand people there. And uh, Mr. Boggs had done his homework well, and the speech he delivered that night was well-prepared. It was insightful humorous, well-delivered. And at the conclusion, he got a standing ovation. Well, later that night, he and his wife were riding back home in a taxi, and he really felt good about himself and what he had done. So he leaned back, and he said, You know, honey, there really aren't very many truly great men in Washington anymore. She said, That's right, honey. And there's one less than you think. Everybody needs a spouse or a good friend like that who will pull you right back down to earth when you're about a quart low on humility. Try to be humble now as you grade yourself on humility, one to ten. And if you give yourself a ten, you can't tell anybody. 
Remember, every Christian is either growing or declining spiritually, but never standing still. Our challenge is to grow. And indeed, if you go over to the very end of this second letter of Peter, the very last verse, you'll read, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In closing, let me share a word from uh, a statement by Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first man to conquer Mount Everest, to climb to the top of the tallest mountain in the world. But before he conquered the mountain, he had failed several times. And after one of those unsuccessful efforts, he stood at the base of that mountain full of anger, and he shook his fist at it, and he said, I'll defeat you yet because you're as big as you're going to be but I'm still growing. So should you and I be, still growing in Christ until the day he takes us home. There's a great old Charles Gabriel hymn that expresses my message of today. Here are the words of the last verse. More like the master I would ever be, more of his meekness, more humility, more zeal to labor, more courage to be true more consecration for work he bids me do. Take thou my heart, I would be thine alone. Take thou my heart and make it all thine own. Purge me from sin, O Lord, I now implore. Wash me and keep me, thine forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious God, how good you have been to us. No one but you could be good enough and great enough and loving enough to go to a cross for us sinners. All we have is sheer gift from your hand. Even our next breath, every day, in fact, are tokens of your love. Now with hearts full of gratitude, we aim to grow into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us more like the Master for his sake and glory. Amen.